the most important thing that you have at the end of your career is the value you created for yourself and the people that were on that journey with you. I want every single person that I work with, that I work for, that works for me to look at our time together and say, I grew during that period. And that's a relationship that I will have long after we're not working together anymore. Welcome to the Marketing Moguls Podcast, where we talk to the big shots, the heavy hitters, the cream of the crop in the world of marketing. This is a show where we sit down with the most brilliant minds in the industry, and we pick their brains to find out what makes them tick, what makes them successful, and sometimes what makes them want to pull their hair out. Each episode, we'll be talking to top executives, entrepreneurs, even influencers who have made their mark in the marketing world, and we'll be asking them tough questions like, What's the best way to increase conversions? Or how do you come up with a killer ad campaign? Or why do marketers always wear black? But let's be real, we're not just here to talk shop, we're also here to have some fun. So we'll be discussing some of the latest trends, we're gonna be sharing some hilarious marketing fails, and maybe even trying to convince our guests to let us in on their secret to creating the perfect meme. So whether you're a marketer, a business owner, or just someone who's fascinated by the world of marketing, this podcast is for you. Sit back, Grab your favorite drink and join us as we dive into the minds of the marketing moguls that are shaping the industry today. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Moguls Podcast. Today, we're joined by Justin Schmidt, who is the VP of Marketing over at Comp. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Of course. Before we get started on anything else, I just wanted to see if we could take a second for you to introduce yourself to the audience and just give us a brief background on who you are, what you do at Compt, and how you got here. Be happy to. Few topics ignite my passion for speaking, like talking about myself. <laughs> Kidding aside, I've been in marketing ever since I changed my major from computer science to marketing in what would have been February of the year 2000. I started in computer science in 1999. And as much fun as that was back then, computer science really wasn't as sexy as it is now. So mm -hmm. instead of, hey, let's think about how we can build the next Google, my assignments were this VHS rental store needs an inventory system, create <laughs> a simple program to manage that. Marketing really spoke to me because at the end of the day, it's an exercise in artsy science and quantitatively driven qualitative thinking. And that really excited me. I switched to marketing got my degree. My first real job out of college, I was so fortunate for this, was to be a director of marketing at a e-commerce and video production studio. While the title was director, ultimately I was a single person trying to figure it out on his own. But the key here is that I was really fortunate to have a 360 degree view of what the function is and what the discipline contains. I did everything from managing vendor and supplier relationships to working with field sales reps to put our DVDs in gift shops. I learned how to manage our AdWords account, our email marketing, all that stuff. Basically, my entire career has been a very blessed journey of marketing leadership and being both coach and a player for growing startup and technology teams. I've been so fortunate to meet, hire, and be around so many incredible people. That journey went through e-commerce, earned media, direct-to-consumer, publishing, and then in the last five years or so, B2B SaaS, where 
most recently and currently, I work at a company called Compt, which is an HR tech platform that allows people ops and HR leaders to offer stipends, reimbursements, and perks to their team in a tax compliant way. Not only tax compliant, but also inclusive for everyone. The ultimate example of this would be instead of a gym membership that a company could offer employees, we could offer a health and wellness stipend because as great as a gym is, if you live out in the country in a remote environment and there's no gym nearby, like what good is that gym membership going to do? So having the ability for employees to spend their own money, get reimbursed and still have those extra benefits is pretty powerful. And that's what we serve. I have been doing that for the last year and really excited about what we're doing and even more excited to talk to you. Absolutely. Man, it sounds like you have had such a great journey to get to where you are today. I love how you pointed out that the gym membership example, that applies directly to me and to a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, but I am one of the people that live in a rural area. So for me, a gym membership would not be very helpful, whereas a health stipend would be. I can definitely see that there would be a big need for a company and a product and a software like what Comp offers. And on that same note, I wanted to ask, how do you get people like me or people in the audience or anyone in general to learn about Comp? How do you market what Comp is today? Good question getting into a discussion that a lot of marketers have where you look at your marketing mix and what you're trying to do. Ultimately, we're all trying to create and then capture demand. In some instances, you have to really lean into the create demand piece and others, you really have to lean into the capture piece. So let me give you an example. If we were selling shoes, we were shoes.com or Zappos or something like that. The demand for shoes is basically the world's population times two, right? We all have two feet and we all need shoes. So at that point, it's really a demand capture exercise. Whereas if you are building an artificial intelligence powered workflow platform for some heretofore undiscussed use case, you're doing category design, that's demand creation, right? And not to say that a shoe company doesn't have to create demand, but to use some blunt instruments in describing it, those are really the two buckets. For Compt and for what we're doing, companies have been offering fringe benefits and perks forever. Think of the company card or you get a gas mileage stipend if you're a traveling salesperson or whatever it is. Where we like to invest our time is really sophisticated and really well done demand capture, specifically in the areas of search, then keeping the conversation going more generally for HR and people ops leaders on the value of inclusive benefits and stipends throughout social and your more typical thought leadership avenues. A lot of SEO, a lot of creating good content so that when an HR leader is looking at their work from home stipend and wants a better way to manage it, they can search for that. They see us, they see that we're a great way to manage that and they come on board. Gotcha. I think you mentioned social media. Do you all do any form of marketing outreach or any of that demand generation like you mentioned over your social platforms? We do. We have a very fortunate situation here in that we have an in-house PR and earned media person Mm -hmm. who also manages our social. 
We're able to get our thought leaders and our CEO, Amy, in these really great positions to be able to speak more broadly about the value of being able to go beyond the traditional compensation stack and get into stuff that actually differentiates you. So I'll give you a good example of this. In a world of pay transparency laws, salaries are relatively table stakes at this point. Everyone can look at the role, not in every state, but we're getting there where you can look at the role, understand what the salary is, go to salary.com. You have a good idea of what it's supposed to pay. As a job designer at this company, you know what you need to offer to attract talent. We all expect good health insurance. Those are table stakes. But when you are really able to differentiate yourself is with how you manage something like a lifestyle spending account or a stipend. What we do from a social perspective is we leverage our thought leadership opportunities and earned media, plus reinforcing these messages in social and provide air cover, if you will, for the ROI and the value of what we do. And then that way, it's like keeping the winds blowing on the demand creation side and then making sure we're optimizing the demand capture. We absolutely use social media like any other B2B SaaS company does. I wouldn't say we are a tip of the spear social driven organization like, say, Lavender, the sales assistant's a perfect mm-hmm. example of this. They are absolutely driven by their community and their social presence. We take a little bit more of a balanced demand creation and capture approach. It must be interesting to find that balance between how much demand you want to generate versus how much time you want to dedicate to making sure that you're capturing that demand and not letting anything fall through the cracks. Before we move on from this idea of demand generation, I wanted to see if there were any other things that you all are doing that the audience can gain insights from. Are you all running any sort of email marketing outreach? Are you doing paid advertising? Is there any sort of referral programs or anything like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We run Google Ads. We do sponsored webinars and content campaigns with various industry publications or influencers, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. We certainly have a partner program that we're developing in our business from a channel perspective, especially when you touch payroll. Mm -hmm. The ADPs of the world become a very valuable partner. And we're doing all the things you would expect an organization in our business in those areas. It's really a fairly typical marketing mix for a modern SaaS company. That sounds awesome. Sounds like you're covering the large majority of your bases, which is wonderful. I wanted to ask, speaking of this idea of providing this value, like you mentioned, now with job applications, a lot of these things are table stakes, right? Where we understand that these are commonplace, where some of the things that aren't commonplace are the type of value that Compt is bringing to the table. And I wanted to ask, is there a topic you wish you could help the entire market understand better about what you all do at Compt? Anything that you feel like is falling through the cracks that if you could reach out, grab everyone and be like, hey, listen, you'd be able to say it to them? That's a great question. It's hard for me to point to any one thing. When I sit back and look at the market and look at where we position against some of our competition, where we position against the status quo, it's important for us to make sure we are always in the solution aware set as us and the rest of the market helps bring awareness to the problem. I'm getting at a fairly roundabout way of saying there isn't one particular thing that I wish we could do. I wish more companies would look at the benefit package and the total compensation package that they offer and look at the 
15 or 20 different individual perk vendors they have. They look at their Gold's Gym membership and their Headspace employee discount and all these other things and say, man, it'd be really easy to just manage all this in one platform. Or even better, look at the $50 a month they throw on people's paychecks to quote unquote, offer a cell phone reimbursement, not necessarily paying any real heed to the fact that should be a pre-tax benefit and look for a better way to manage what they're doing. We're certainly doing everything we can to ensure that happens. So it's hard for me to say that there isn't something we're doing. There's one thing I wish that we would do. I just wish that all businesses would find religion on what it means to have a platform to manage something versus not. And that's what every SaaS company does, right? Help Scout and Zendesk, even though they serve different ends of the market, at the end of the day are both help desks and they do have overlap in their customer set. They're wanting the same thing that I am, which is what can we do to educate the market that there's a better way to manage their help desk, right? We're doing the same thing. Absolutely. I think at least I would say, I hope that a lot of businesses, corporations, organizations are going that way where they do want to find a better way to manage this. And they are interested in looking into new ways to doing exactly what you're describing here. At least that would be my hope. I wanted to ask you too, earlier, we were talking a little bit about some of the things that had worked well for you all, some of the things that were going well in terms of marketing, you had mentioned SEO and creating really good content to drive some of that interest. And I wanted to see if you're open to it, if we could talk about some of the things that maybe haven't worked as well, some of the marketing initiatives that you all have tried, or maybe just ones that you've tried over the course of your career that you've noticed just didn't really seem to hit the mark. At Compt, we haven't really dove headfirst into leveraging paid channels on social media quite yet. That's not to say that it's a channel that we can't leverage. Certainly positive we could. I just want to be efficient both from a capital and opportunity perspective and invest dollars and time where the fruit's the lowest hanging. For me, this has always been the case. I think it comes from my B2C background. In the e-commerce world, you do optimize for lifetime value. But at the end of the day, you are trying to maintain a positive ROI on the individual purchase or the single conversion, right? I've got a pair of shoes that retails for 40 bucks. My margin on that is $20. I don't want to spend more than, I'm making this up, $10 for the sale because XYZ costs, that gives me the ROI that I need to make this business profitable. In software, we do the same thing. However, the selling price is such and the buyer's journey is such that instead of $40 or $20 a margin, you might have $40,000 a year averaged LTV of 120 grand. The gross margin on that is virtually infinite because it's software. Therefore, you end up in this very growth at all costs. Let's spend first year ACV to get a customer, whatever it is that leads to the kind of expensive to operate growth models that a lot of SaaS companies have done over the years. We're seeing in some of the layoffs in the startup space now, what happens when you have to, Zuckerberg said, make it the year of efficiency or whatever. So for me, I always look at what can we build upon, run small experiments and grow in a responsible way versus let's do a full frontal assault and start wildly inefficient and bring efficiency up 
to par as we go. You want to think about it from a pragmatic perspective. That's not to say that we don't experiment, but you want to do it pragmatically and with an eye towards driving a positive return on your investment. I guess the TLDR here is paid social for me so far has been a harder nut to crack than other channels. But in fairness, we've been really wanting to make sure that we're leveraging the full power of these channels where we know we're able to have more product channel fit, if you will. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned too, being cautious and maybe starting a little bit slow with some of these new initiatives, because recently I finished reading a new book that, to me called Little Bets. It's by Peter Sims. And that's basically the concept of that book is that you want to mm. start by taking these little bets and go slow, and then you can expand out. If we find something fruitful, you can dig deeper. But in order to make sure you don't blow your whole budget or make a large mistake, it's better to start with these little bets instead. And I found that really interesting that you mentioned that because that's something that I've been learning more about recently as well. And I highly recommend anyone in the audience listening to, to check that book out because it's a great book with a lot of great content in it. So we're running a little short on time here, but I did want to ask you one more question while I have you here. I always like to try to ask leaders in the marketing space if they could look back on their career from the past 5, 10 years or so and think about if they were back 5 or 10 years ago, what advice would you give to yourself on how you could navigate your path to getting into a position like you're in today? I love this question because as a intellectual exercise, I like to reflect a lot and draw upon experiences as I'm sitting in the present moment. For me, particularly five years ago, 2018, I was coming off of a really interesting journey. This is all public. You can Google it. But at Answers Corp, we went through and multiply, we rebranded multiply. We went through a chapter 11 and a restructuring and a reemergence. This was before 2018. But for anyone who's ever been through one of those, it's a hell of a time. You have to make some very hard choices. You have to reset a lot of expectations when businesses get recapitalized. Things are different moving forward. A lot of the progress we made in 2018, we had some similar issues due to Facebook and Google and some of these other giant companies in the traffic and monetization spectrum. It's a duopoly. And if Facebook and Google shrug their shoulders and you're relying on either of them for either monetization or traffic, it's hard. Being a publisher is very hard is the big lesson of this. But I think back to that time and I think back to how we were able to emerge how we were able to regrow the business. And while it might not have worked out exactly how we planned, the lessons that I learned then on just how to think through black swan events, bigger picture, being efficient, not over-investing today and then being hung out to dry tomorrow just really gives me a really good sense of how to take the necessary risks for growth without throwing all caution to the wind, which is something that every business should really do is just be responsible to their fiduciaries and think through how you're going to grow responsibly. And from a marketing perspective, this goes right back to what we were just saying. What channels do I invest in? Where do I run my experiments? How do I grow in a way that is compounding to what I'm doing? 
and my bets are well placed. Definitely. I think that goes for both personal and professional because I think you're spot on with what you said there about making sure that you're being responsible with the way that you allow these things to take place and the way that you structure your professional career, but your personal life as well. Definitely valuable insights there. And I completely agree. And I'll just say one other thing on this too. tie this back to something I said in the beginning about being really fortunate to work with amazing people, but then also what you just said with your personal life as well. Mm -hmm. The most important thing that you have at the end of your career is the value you created for yourself and the people that were on that journey with you. I want every single person that I work with, that I work for, that works for me to look at our time together and say, I grew during that period. And that's a relationship that I will have long after we're not working together anymore. I absolutely relish meeting people for coffee that I used to work with or scrolling through LinkedIn and seeing a post of theirs and then going to their profile and saying, wow, they really had an awesome career. And that's something that ultimately really matters. And when I think back to those five years ago, and I think today, and if you ask me five years from now to think Mm -hmm. back to today, it's that's going to be the through line is the quality of relationships that I've built over the years and the value I've been able to create for myself and help create for others. Yeah, for sure. I think relationships are key, especially in the more remote style workspace that we have now and everything. 100%. So, yeah. All right. Well, sadly, that's all we have time for today. But I just want to take a second to thank you again so much, Justin, for coming on and being a part of the podcast. It was a blast talking to you. Absolutely. Happy to hop on. And if one person found a nugget of wisdom from this, then we've done our job. So thanks for having me. Of sure. I bet they will. I guarantee it. All right, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Marketing Moguls podcast, and we will catch you in the next one. Hey there, we want to take a quick second to thank our sponsors of this episode, Tier 11. Do you ever sit at your computer wondering why you're spending so much money on advertisement for your business that drives little to no revenue? Does the idea of another month with low engagement make you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck because the team of professionals over at Tier 11 can handle these issues in no time flat and make you forget all about your nightmare ad experience. Tier 11 is an advertising agency that manages over $100 million in annual ad spend and has more than 15 years of advertising experience. So it's pretty safe to say they know their stuff. Stop wasting your time and your budget on advertising that doesn't work and trust the professionals instead. Head over to www.tier11.com today and chat with the team member to learn more about how they can help you get more customers and increase their lifetime value. That's T-I-E-R-E-L-E-V-E-N.com. Now back to the podcast.